Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Sharif Aranis Cruz, Chef Turnat at Mercantile. I love saying your full name, man. I know. Love saying your full name. <laughs> You've always done it. Always. Uh, he is Chef Turnat at Mercantile Dining Provisions in Denver, Colorado. He was born in Mexico City, moved to Summit County, Colorado at age 13, and got into this crazy industry at the age of 13 as a dishwasher at Taco Bell. I also started as a dishwasher in one of my uncle's restaurants. So much respect to the dishwashers. And Sharif and I have worked together at four different restaurants. I actually tracked it back. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some of that maybe a little bit. But I'm very excited to have him on. Somebody I've always been very impressed with. A couple fun little things about him. We always like to dig into people's fridges and their pantries. You always have lime and chia seed to make aqua fresca. What, what is aqua fresca, first of all? Agua, agua fresca. Agua fresca, yeah. It's just like a fresh water, you know, like a fresh refreshment thing that my mom always makes. Uh, growing up, she never let me uh, drink soda. We never had sodas in my house. So she always used to make lime and you know, sugar and a little bit of chia seeds for dinner, for lunch, for anything. So that's, you don't, that's why you we don't see a lot of people that. with it's like extreme pulp in your orange juice having chia seeds in, yeah. in your drinks or like a boba or something. I'm into right. that. And then we're going to talk about this a lot. You also always have tortillas. Now, I know tortillas are super important to you. We're going to get into tortillas and what they really mean to you and your culture as you've really tried to reconnect with that culture through food, which I think is very important. I, too, yeah. such a passion thinking about tortillas need to be like pasta is an Italian food to Mexican food and right. having heard Enrico Olvera, somebody I know that you look up to and Daniela, uh, and yes, having tasted their tortillas from Cosme, it's unbelievable. Also, I haven't gotten to work a couple times with Benedicta Vargas, who is like the Mayan princess, the godmother of, uh, her and her little Kamal travel yeah. all over the world to preach about, uh, indigenous foods and, and heirloom grains which i think is super interesting and important so i love that you always oh, yeah. have tortillas and we'll talk about that a little bit more i always tell chefs they should try and arm wrestle benedicta vargas from oh, yeah. grinding hand grinding masa for decades Her arms are decades. huge like popeye i mean <laughs> right it's, it's impressive impressive to watch her work so yeah. We're going to play a little game, a little best served on icebreaker called Maíz es la vida. Corn is life. I'm asking yeah. three multiple choice questions. Just a fun little way to give people some insight into something you're so passionate about. And I'm such a geek. I love researching. So it was interesting for me to find out some fun facts. Are you ready yeah. to play? I'm ready. All right. So I found out that there's five types of corn commonly harvested in North America. Of okay. those types, which of these is not used 
for making tortillas? Is it A, sweet corn, B, flour corn, or C, canned corn? Uh, I will go with the canned corn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a layup, a kind of an easy one. <laughs> canned corn is not corn, people. Of course, it was at some point. Uh, yeah, the five types of corn, I was really interested, uh, kind of what they were used for. And uh, there's sweet corn, flour corn, dense, flint, and popcorn are the five types of corn, which is super fascinating for me. And the second I learned that, I was thinking about corn completely differently and looking at mm. what types of corn I was actually eating because uh, they bring right. different things to our diet. So, nixtamalization. Yeah. Crucial. I mean, thousands of years old. It's so fascinating that a process like this was discovered in such ancient times because it seems very complicated. <clears throat> Somebody had to experiment multiple times. So the process of nixtamalization is to take corn and do what with it? A, sous vide. B, mixed with an alkaline solution. Or C, dehydrate. Uh, it's going to be B. You know, yeah, and, I, and I, read a, I read an article about how the Mayans or the Aztecs used to do it. Uh, they used to cook the corn with um, ashes from um, shellfish or wood. And then that's how they, that's how they cook the corn and nixtamalize the corn. Uh, now, yes. Nowadays, we use the, lime, the limestone. But back then, they used uh, shellfish, like burnt shellfish. Yeah, you also saw lye a lot, and that was interesting yeah. because a lot of the places where you have uh, decomposition of, yeah. of bodies, <laughs> you'll, you'll see lye produced. And similar to the process of taking lye and creating hominy. So there's, there's right. some correlation there. But very interesting because you would never consume that highly alkaline solution but mixing it with the corn it's also interesting not only that it helps it break it down so you can turn it into it but it also makes it into a complete protein so it right. actually changes the amino acids in it which is fascinating to me and again yeah. that that was discovered thousands of years ago absolutely love it and your final and the, question and the, okay go ahead go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I know you oh. got some nugget of wisdom for us. And I know, and I read that in the same article, it said that when the Spaniards came, you know, to the to America, they took the corn back, but they didn't take the process of nistamalization. They were eating the corn without going through the process of it. And they got sick. Like they started getting, um, their skin got, got dry. And I, I don't remember the name of the, the illness, I guess. But, um, but they got sick because they were eating it without knowing how to nistamalize. Interesting. So I, I think that was pretty interesting. All their technology advancements, quote unquote, above the indigenous people, yet they didn't even right. know how to eat corn. <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear that. All right. And so finally, the dough made from this nistamalized corn is called what? A, masa, B, manteca, or C, amate? Uh, masa. Masa, yes. <laughs> so talk to me just a little bit about masa. I know how important it is to you and I know how passionate you are about it. What is it about that simple use of flour from corn, salt, yeah. water, and maybe some of that manteca, maybe some of that animal fat or not? I mean, you know, like whenever I, I, whenever I make tortillas, I don't put any, um, any sort of uh, fat in it. But to make tamales, you do. 
Um, that's the that's that's what I love about Massa. I mean, you can have a a Massa bowl and create. I can name you like thirty different things that you can make out of Massa. And um, that's my thing right now. Like, I I don't know. I I don't understand why. It's not that I don't understand. I I feel like Mexican restaurants should focus on masa. Uh, you know, like they they could they could make a a delicious menu, working around masa. You know, like I see mercantile like we do our own pasta, and I mean the sky is the limit on how Matt Butter creates a pasta dish. You know, it's they're very simple, but it's always about the pasta, and I feel that's how Mexican restaurants, Mexican chefs should look at our menus, you know, like you just focusing on the masa and then you can do a tostada, you can make a gordita, you can make a tamal, you can make, oh my God, you, you can make a lot of things, just focusing on the masa. I love it. I can hear the passion in your voice. It's, yeah. it's what Enrique Olvera said I alluded to earlier. He talked about how he even had to think about again because he was so focused on all the other ingredients and putting right. excellent techniques, ingredients, and flavors onto these GMO corn tortillas that may yeah. be the highest quality in their category, but they said, you know, we got to stop completely and focus 100%, just like the Chinese do on noodles and the Italians, like you mentioned, on pasta. It's got to be fundamental, and everything else that goes on top of it is then better for it because of that. So I am with you 100%. You and I could have a whole other podcast just talking about tortillas. It's it's. And then uh, you know, like the so thing important. with masa, you, you can you can even you can make soups out of masa. Like um, there is this soup called chilpacho, chilpachole. Um, instead of thickening it with some sort of a cornstarch or or flour, you thicken it with masa. You know, and it's so delicious. It's it's a it's a seafood broth. You thicken it with masa, and it's and it's it's really good. That's great. Make people drinks out of masa. You know, so. People listening uh, are going to go and look at their tortilla and masa in a completely different way. I absolutely love that. That's why we play these games. That's why I'm so happy when yeah. you said tortillas and just knowing how passionate you are about it. So thank you for playing that game. That was excellent. Oh, thank you. Let's get into your story a little bit. So want to go back to the beginning. Uh, you made the trek such an important trek to the United States for so many in our industry. And let's start at the beginning. Where did your spark of inspiration for cooking really begin? I mean, honestly, you know, I'm going to sound like cliche. A lot of people say this, but it started with my mom and my grandma. Um, my family, well, my grandma had a big family. She had nine kids. So every, every Christmas or New Year's, all my uncles, all my cousins will gather at my grandma. And um, we used to make pozole. So we had, they had all the kids cleaning the corn you know, after the nestamalization process. You have to take that little, little end of the corn off. So all of my little cousins and me, we used to clean the corn to make the pozole. And I just, every single year was a, was a huge party at my grandma's house. And it was always about cooking. You know, can you imagine cooking for nine nine families pretty much? It was, that's where it started. You know, like, ever since then, I, I cooked with my mom the whole time. So my mom and my dad were separated. My dad lived in Querétaro, and I lived in the city. 
And every weekend, my dad used to come and get me and my brother and take me to his house. And uh, he used to leave us money because he, he went off to work. He used to leave us money. And my brother and I used to go to the market and then come back home and cook for my dad. And ever since then, I've been, I don't, I don't know, cooking is, is it's in me. You know, like, I've always done it. So. Yeah, you touched on family. And, and you said cliche. It's fundamental for a reason. Yeah, if, yeah. if you have that instilled in you at such a young age i think it's so important and so what is your brother's name uh misael all right yeah, he's it's back good. in the he's back in mexico city right now it's it's great to have a family to cook with so talk to me about that a little bit more as far as now you've really flourished in your career uh you are one of those people i talk about that i never had any concern that if I put an ingredient into your hands that you would take the utmost care and respect for it. That was always very, very clear. And it's not always clear, you know, when you're in charge or when you own a place, like, you know, you're putting a lot of trust in people and, and your money into their hands. And it's something I talk about a lot, just that simple trust and confidence that you were always going to take care of the ingredient. And clearly that came from just, it was innate in you. Right. And so talk to me about that a little bit where you just had a love and respect for it. How have you taken that and then applied it to the way that you've been in kitchens throughout your career? You know, like recently, uh, I, I want to say, I mean, you and I have known each other for what, more than was it, maybe 10 years, right? Yeah. Started working about. at Tag. Yeah. But uh, recently, you know, my mom has been growing his little garden her little garden for about four years now. And um, I feel like that changed me, you know, like just watching her going through all the process of um, planting the seed, um, taking care of the plant. And it, it's a work, it's a workout. Like you should, she goes to the garden at 7 a.m. and comes back home at like 12. And it, it's it's a lot of hard work. And like, so for to think of um, that little squash that you get it in, in your doors at the restaurant, like it takes a lot of work for somebody to grow that. So that's, I, I feel like that that's always been in me, like to take care of the product, you know? So Yeah, that respect for the ingredient yeah. all the way through the process. I think that's very interesting because we're disconnected from that sometimes. And it just seems like, hey, I ordered it. It's here. Now I'm going to do my thing with it. And you're trying to look back and say, what is the respect that everybody who's been a part of it has had? And I think that is pretty fundamentally important uh, to think about is how yeah. we are taking care of the ingredients that how many other people have worked really fucking hard for. And, yeah. and we talked about that a lot at the tag days, and especially row 14 about waste and respecting the ingredients and, sure. and, and knowing the value of those ingredients. So I think that, it's really, really important. And it's, it's good to hear that, that you can connect that dot directly back to your mother, directly back to your grandmother is that connection. And yeah. you, your grandmother, your mother, your family instilled this love and respect for food and cooking and cooking together. Talk to me maybe a bit about how you're doing that part. Because it's clear the respect that you have for the ingredient and your personal ability yeah. How then are you trying to pass that on to others because you know how important it is to you? 
Oh, let's see. That's a that's a really deep question. <laughs> that's we're getting serious here. Yeah. I want to know how people like you, people in the industry who have been so deeply and profoundly impacted by, say, a mother, a grandmother, a family member, yeah, can pass on that love, respect. Because when we do that, I think we win, right? When yeah, we yeah. think about the why and the who, we win. When we so focus on what and how, that stuff shifts and changes always. But why and who is timeless within our lives. And so I want to get deep because you are so emphatic about your family, your grandmother, your heritage. Yeah. Not, not many people are that connected. So I want to dig in a little bit and find out how we bottle that magic. I mean, with me, you know, um, with me, the whole Mexican food, the whole Mexican cuisine, um, I feel like that's something that Denver needs, you know? I mean, there's a lot of good restaurants, you know, here in Denver, Mexican restaurants. Um, but my thing is, uh, like, I have a lot of passion on all these um, foods that I used to eat that you don't see in menus here because they're just not, they're not that um, typical, you know? Um, yeah, they're not but, nachos and quesadillas. Right, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, the, like, growing up in Mexico City, I never had a burrito before. Until I of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, back in Mexico, the food is way different. You know, it's, there's a lot, there's millions of dishes that I know uh, people here have never heard of. Um, right. You're, uh, you you're know, talking like tlacoyas is what you're putting. Oh, my God. Yeah. ingredients into or like the tortas i think in mexico city like uh was it pambosas or yeah. yeah or even they do the uh uh torta de tamale where you're actually putting a tamale right. in bread it's like talk about you know and, and that's one of, that's one of those things that you eat before you go into church like you'll see those little stands right outside the churches they sell the torta de tamal con un atole with a, a tole drink with a drink out of a masa and you eat that, and then you go to church every Sunday. That's funny. But that, that's the thing, like, you know, um, one, one day we had a lineup over at Mercantile. And um, we were talking about how, or what is passion? What is passion for the cooks, you know? And I, and I told the, the, the guys, my, my part in it, I was like, you know, most of you guys are 23, 24, 25. I'm 35, you know? I wish back when I was 23, 22, I would have this um, this passion for um, for teaching people about Mexican food. Because if I would have done it way earlier, I feel like I would be in a different stage right now in my career. Um, but I told the guys, you know, like uh, now is the time for you guys to try to um, try to understand where your passion is gonna go, to, or you know, like. If you have a chef that you want to really, really follow, like go to him, like go stash, go, go learn something. Um, I, I think that's, that's my part. That, that's how I try to teach or try to leave um, cooks now. You know, like it, it's better for them at that age to figure it out what they really want to do. You know, back when I was 22, 23, I was just jumping on restaurants. I never worked in a restaurant more than two years. I put that as my goal, I guess. Because I wanted to learn different styles, you know. Um, I wanted to learn different um, cuisines, I guess. Um, but then I, I, now that I'm 35, like, I know I'm going to do Mexican food. That's, that's going to be my thing. Uh, but I wish I would have I had that way earlier. You know what I mean? 
I understand completely. And I think the fact that you recognize that and are now putting in effort to do two yeah. things. One, to follow that passion personally, even though it's a challenge, because like you said, people don't understand what Mexican food is. And I actually did one of these games where we talked about different regions of Mexican food. And it was, you know, the cuisine of Jalisco versus Poblano versus Yucatan versus uh, Norteño versus Oaxaca. Yeah. And to each of those regions it's is so like different. a country in and of itself. I mean, Mexican yeah. food is the most diverse food culture diverse, probably yeah. in the world, especially what I've experienced. I mean, we could just do a whole episode on mole, you know, right. the, seven, the seven moles or the thousand moles really. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that's one, following that passion personally and the challenges that I know you see anywhere, but here specifically, as you mentioned in Denver, then also taking the time and the effort to invest some of that passion that you got from grandmother, from mother, from now finding your heritage through food and respecting yeah. Mexican food at a different level. Uh, young cooks need that. Uh, oh, cannot yeah. tell people enough that mentorship is everything. In investing your time and effort and passion to another human being is what can make this industry great. So absolutely yeah. love that. And we could talk all day about that. I do want to touch on some other points and people in your career. So you got down to Denver. Talk to me about those early days cooking in some of the kitchens in Denver. I know you were in Boulder. Who's somebody that you remember that maybe took an early interest in you and started to kind of teach you what it meant to work in a kitchen and okay. be a chef? This was back uh, in Summit County. Um, it was my third year of uh, culinary school. And um, I got, they kicked me out of the resort because, you know, uh, it's not a secret. I'm, I wasn't legal back then. Um, so I got kicked out of the school because uh, they started checking um, security numbers. And um, I got kicked out. So the, the director of the culinary school told me that I could finish school, but not at the resort. And luckily, you know, it's, it was fate, I guess. Um, it was amazing because the guy that I really want to work for, his name is David Welch. Um, he was the chef over at the Keystone Ranch. And um, back then, every culinary student wanted to work for him because he was, he was the shit. You know, like he was the man up in Summit County. Um, Love it. Luck luckily for me, the year that I got kicked out, um, he opened his own little cafe in Frisco up in Summit County. It's called Foodheads. So the instructor told me, if you go and talk to Dave and he gives you a job, you can finish school because he knows the program, you know. So I went in and talked to him. He's a classic French chef. Like he, if you go into his kitchen right now, he still wears the freaking white hat. You know, those tall a hats. Toque? So, yeah, a toque. He wears a neckerchief. He, he's, you know, he's like the old real school. Dude. Yeah, old school dude. I went in there and I told, I told him what happened to me. And uh, he's like, yeah, come on in. We'll give you a job. I'll sign your um, skill sets. Because back then they give you like a, uh, like a notebook full of skill sets that the chef has to sign up every, every month or something. And I ended up working for him about two and a half years. And that was, he taught me how to work hard. He, he's one of my mentors for sure. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. It was just me and him working in his cafe. 
Um, I learned from him how to make bread. I don't, I don't know, man. There, there's we used to eat together in the in the walk-in out of Pythons, you know. Oh yeah, standing up, eating cold standing food. Standing up, yep. The life yep. of the chef. Right. The David Welch, that's his name. So t- he, talk to me about the first the, guy. He's the first the guy that ever. Yeah, he 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 made he made me. I was I was 21. So he let's let's talk about him a little bit as far yeah. as the relationship, because that again we're touching more and more on mentorship. Uh, clearly, it's important to you. So talk about that a little bit. Like, what can we learn? from somebody like David Welch, good lessons and bad, you know, I'm guessing yeah. hearing what you're saying, he kicked your ass and sometimes probably oh, yeah, it was did. needed. And sometimes it was inappropriate. We've talked a little bit about on this For show sure. about, you know, like getting a plate thrown at your head. We thought it was a badge of honor coming up and it did right. crystallize certain things in us. It also has been exposed as being pretty toxic and not right. sustainable. And right. so Let's let's talk about that the the balance there the things that you saw that really worked for you and the same things that you saw that you decided for yourself as a chef that you weren't going to utilize because of you know the impact they had on you. Right, I mean you know like I never had a bad experience with him. I mean he was tough, you know, but um, I I think that uh, he saw that I could take it. I feel like he knew that uh, at what point I was gonna break i guess but he never took me to that to that point does that make sense uh, he pushed yeah, absolutely me, he pushed me but uh i feel like he never crossed that line uh, i i think that's how chef should be like you know if i see a kid that can take certain things like i will push him that far but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cross that line when you're saying that it's toxic and it's not it's not cool you know that's good so, i think you you touch on something very important in this is that he saw in you what you could take you're looking at what they can handle what their potential is what their capability yeah. is what their threshold is and that's the thing you got to look at each individual right as an individual and that's sometimes where we lose track is we're putting preconceived notions and expectations on other people based on what we can handle not what right. they can handle and that's where the frustration, the friction sometimes happens. I saw it in myself when I was able to see somebody like you and take you to where you were best, it worked. And when I fucked up and was like, oh, people are lucky to work for me or I'm going to push them because this is what I'm capable of, that's when I right. lost every single time. Now, you have yeah. to balance that with, with you're running a business. So for you and I, and there was lots of others, I never was concerned about the food, as I mentioned, and was always like, I will put any ingredients, and you've never even seen this ingredient. I'm going to put Buddha hand in your, into yeah. your hand. You have no idea what that is, but you right. taste it, and you taste that citrus, you know exactly where to go with that ingredient. So I had right. the utmost understanding of that. Where I pushed you and lots of other people was, you were a great cook, Sharif, in those early days, to be a chef. Thank you. You have yeah. to do all the other stuff that you don't want to do, right? right. Invoicing, scheduling, oh, yeah. managing people, all those, all those elements. And so that's the part of like knowing where your ability is going to take you. And I knew right. like you never could just be a cook. So you, you had to be able to round out your skill sets, which means I had to ask you and others to do things you really didn't want to do because you just wanted to be right. cooking. But I think right. it's, it's, again, seeing the individual is, is so important. 
Because if I treated yeah. you like I treated somebody else and somebody else and somebody else, doesn't work. That's yeah. when I, that's when I fucked up every time. Yeah. It's, I can see it every single time. So uh, it's good. It's hard to slow down when you're getting your fucking head kicked in in the kitchen to slow down enough and say, I see you. Let's do right. this because this is what you're capable of. That's the challenge. And I mean, I know it is you a challenge. see that for sure. It is a challenge. How are, you, sure. how, are you, how are you dealing with that part of it is trying to slow down and say, all right, you and me, I get it versus this is what the fuck I need everybody to do. You know, uh, right now, I don't have a lot of um, responsibility over at Mercantile because, you know, I'm only a tornado. I'm not sous chef. I'm not the chef or whatever. But looking into oh, my... A lot of people time, don't answer to you? Right. What do you mean? Right. Gotcha. Um, okay. But looking back at my time at Lola, you know, that Lola restaurant broke me. It was, it was a tough, it was a tough kitchen. It was, a, you know, we had pretty much a whole crew that ran, that ran a brunch and then the whole crew that ran dinner. So it was a lot of people and it was a big restaurant. It was always busy. It was just, it was a monster. So it, it, it was hard for me to, to be that guy that you're talking about, uh, to single out single people, you know, to, to get to learn them and get to know them was hard. It's not yeah. just, like you say, it's not just about cooking. It's about mentoring. It's about teaching people. It's about guiding them, you know, try to, try to bring the best of them. And when you have such a big group, it's challenging for sure. And, and were there a few people at Lola that you were able to connect with on that level oh, yeah, yeah. that you, you want yeah. to call out? Who are some people yeah, in those days so. that you just saw at Lola? I mean, cause that's an institution and man, is it yeah. busy. So it's hard to do what you want to do and be more of an artist and be connected with the food because you're doing 400 covers you know, for like, sure that's that's a challenge for sure uh who are some of the people and situations that you remember at lola that you, you know the, the, there's one lady at uh, lola that she does the prep she's still there she's been there forever uh, her name is rita calderon she is a badass. She's like one of those Delfina ladies that, I, you know, like it's funny because every time people ask me, hey, when are you, op- when are you going to open your own restaurant, blah, blah, blah. I always tell them like, you know, uh, as soon as I can, I will. But, and I always tell them that I have like five Delfinas. I refer to them as Delfinas because they're like badasses. The people that I know that I'm going to end up hiring when I open my own. And I call them my Delfinas. So Rita is one of those ladies. One of, I one of my absolutely Delfinas. love that. <laughs> For anybody listening who doesn't understand the reference, one right. of my my very first unsung hospitality heroes is Delfina Serrano, who was the dishwasher Delfina tag Serrano. restaurant where, where yeah. Sharif and I worked together. We, we called her Mighty Mouse because she would carry a stock pot as tall as her. She's what, maybe 4'10"? <laughs> as Jesus, tall as her with a dish yeah. rack up the stairs, two sets of stairs to get to the main kitchen level, put the dish rack on the floor so she was just tall enough to hang the pot up never complained she made pot sticker soup dumplings at the restaurant had never worked in a kitchen before so she is a, a badass and i love that now she has become the uh the benchmark for the type of person you want so rita calderon was that person rita that calderon, yeah yeah and you said and you said the challenges you know because you were running a, a monster and maybe weren't ready for it so you know jamie fader uh, oh my god i love that guy influence there yeah talk to me about that because uh i'm sure he mentored you and then slapped oh, yeah. you around a little bit too talk to me about that relationship a little bit you know what uh, jamie fader was one of my um i don't know he has such trust on me 
and I, and I felt it and I, I, I'm always grateful, you know, <clears throat> like you said, maybe I wasn't ready for it, um, which clearly I wasn't, um, but he had such trust on me and until the, until today, he always tells me like, I trust on you. I, I know you're going to do something someday, but yeah, I mean, he, he was great. He was always positive. Uh, he saw the challenges that I was going through. He always, always tried to coach me how to work with them. But yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was one of my uh, shoulders, I guess, when I was leaning on, when I was breaking over at Lola. But he was always great to me. Um, I cannot say anything bad about him. Um, he's always going to be my friend forever. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a good coach for sure. Yeah, he, he always struck me as having a good balance between let's talk about food, let's talk about our relationship, and then also yeah. let's talk about this business and trying to find a sweet spot there. So I think it's great, right. you know, even though that quote unquote didn't work for you as far as it's just a monster. Yeah. Uh, still the mentorship of Jamie Fader and the long-term relationship is there. And I think that's super important because yeah. even if it doesn't work, the fact that you can stay connected with people in the industry is really, really important because you never know when it comes back around at some point. So I think that's really, really interesting. All right, so yeah. I love the people that we're talking about. I want to talk about something that I know is important to you. And we just alluded to kind of your trek from Mexico. I know you have faced some challenges there in your legal status here. Yeah. I'd like to touch on that just a little bit because I think it is so important in our industry to have an yep. understanding and some empathy and respect for the struggle that that is. So do you want to just talk about that time in your life a little bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole reason why I told you that when you asked me who, who do I look up to, and, you know, I said my mom, uh, this happened when I was working at TAG. You remember this. Um, yeah, I remember. It was, it was pretty scary, you know. Like, yeah. I had a lot of respect and love for you. I remember writing a letter of recommendation for, sure, for yeah. you, which was, I mean, it was pretty heavy. You know, like, yeah. Man, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I remember being angry at the system for trying yeah. to like do something like that to somebody that I had so much respect for. I also remember being feeling very lucky that I just never was going to have to deal with that. And I was like kind yeah. of grateful and at the same time empathetic to your struggle. So yeah, you're at tag restaurants and talk I was to us working at tag. Um, so back in 2007, I got in some trouble back when I lived in Boulder. And because of that, I, I became a target for the ice for ICE. I had probation for three years back in Boulder. I finished it. And then I moved to Denver because I started working at TAG. As soon as I, fin I finished my probation uh, with Boulder, it was early in the morning. I think it was close to Thanksgiving. It was, but it was early in the morning. And I, I remember I was doing lunch over at TAG. I was doing, I was doing the, the early lunch shift. So I, I was I was supposed to go to work at TAG, at TAG at 8, 8 a.m., I believe. Yeah, uh, they showed up at my house at like 6.30 a.m. They identified themselves as, you know, immigration eyes. They were looking for me because of the trouble that I have in Boulder. Um, they knew that I was here illegally. It took me pretty much. And then um, I was in uh, detention for a whole year fighting my case. Because of this issue that I had in Boulder, I could not apply for the DREAM Act. And, you know, and I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. So I, there was really no way for me to get some sort of a status here. Uh, but luckily, you know, this is when my mom comes into her, 
strength you know like i admire my mom so much right now because of all she did like she talked to i i have no idea how many lawyers she made great friends through um through immigration um programs to support immigrants uh, jennifer piper was one of these ladies that helped my mom a lot you know i was in in there for a whole year i have no idea how my mom what she did but she got me in touch with this lawyer that found a way for me to get out of there i i got approved for a u visa you know they released me the same i think it was the same month that they took me in they released it was it was a full year that i was in there and i remember going into tag and you weren't there and I'm like what the fuck where jensen and you know, i talked to troy and but then like by, by that time troy was you know they were using the e-verify thing so i couldn't go back into tag but then i ended up working with you over at row 14 so yeah, it was it was it was a funny, interesting and pretty. I mean, I'm grateful, you know, that all of that happened to me because it kind of like gave me a different perspective. Talk about perspective, something that most of us will never know, and I think it's just important to know that this is the reality for people we work side by side with. I can't tell you how excited I was. I still remember when you came. I may have just fired two people to hire you. I can't even remember that part of it. But I was just like, you have to come work here. I just yeah. need that level of, of trust and confidence in somebody. So it was, it was great for me personally to, to see you come out of that. It was a long year, I'm sure, for you. And, and it's hard because the rest of us just go on. And then somebody that you know, we were so connected to is just poof, gone. Uh, to have you come back meant a lot. And it's, it's also one of the reasons I just felt very connected to you. And, and we worked together on two other projects and have stayed yeah. uh, stayed in touch since. So absolutely love that you let us hear a little bit about that because that vulnerability can be a little bit scary. And I think a lot it of people is. are dealing with that. And uh, I have so much respect for people that are willing to uproot their entire lives and leave families for an opportunity. Like that's what this is all about. And they are the bedrock of our industry. We need to fucking take notice because they, yeah. they matter and they're not just employees they are people and we need to look at them one-on-one and and realize right. their their strengths and their struggles so can't i can't tell you i'm i'm tongue-tied by your willingness to to share that with us and i think people are going to listen to this and be affected by it which i think is important yeah uh, so uh yeah you know Man, uh, at some point of my at some, at some point in my life i was you know you feel kind of not ashamed, but kind of like embarrassed to tell that you're illegally here or whatever. But you know, like, who's gonna blame my mom or my dad because they wanted something better for for me and my brother? Like, uh, you cannot blame people for wanting wanting something better for their kids. You know, it it sucks that they have to come here that way, or that we have to come here that way. Um, but that's that's just how it has to be. You know, like if there was a better way for us immigrants to come here. We will do that. You know, we don't want to be walking like in 24 hours in the desert. You know, who wants to do that? But we have to, you know, uh, and then when, when I think of that, like, that's why I decided to tell my story because it's, it's just how it is. You know, like you can, you can point a finger to the immigrant guy that came illegally because he has to. There's just no other way around. If you haven't gone through it, you don't understand it. And so all you can do is <clears throat> yeah. respect it. And if, we talk about in this country, hard work, work ethic and determination, you know, making a better life for yourself. There is no better example of that. So yeah, can't tell you how yeah. much I appreciate you being willing to share that and give us some insight into your story. So 
I want to call out your unsung hospitality hero, your nominee for unsung hospitality hero, as we always like to do. I know that was tough for you. There's quite a few of these young guns that you're working with these days, as you mentioned, yeah. need some more recognition and attention. So talk to me about your unsung hospitality heroes. Oh man, like, you know, I was telling you earlier, uh, right now over at Mercantile, I'm impacted by the way uh, younger kids that work there. And I think it comes down to, um, you know, I'm going to shout out to Matt Batter. Uh, he's a great leader. I, you know, I, me and, and Matt went to high school together, so I've known him for for a long time. You know, the way he, he treats people, the way he talks to people, the way he teaches, it's, it's something that I'm going to take from him for sure. But if I have to narrow, uh, you know, my own song heroes is going to be the mercantile crew. Because I, I think all of them work really, really, really hard. Um, but, uh, you know, if I'm going to point one out, it's going to be Adam McCarty. That's his name. Adam McCarty. McCarty. We call him, his nickname is Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he's, I believe he's 21. You can give him as much shit as you want to, and he's always smiling, and that, that's great. I mean, when we're in the fucking weeds in the kitchen, I mean, you know, he gets he gets uh, crazy, but he's always he always has a good attitude. Adam McCarty, I love that twenty-one-year-old kid, Cardi B. I think Cardi. we just need to recognize more and more of those individuals because if we recognize them, celebrate them. Put them oh, on yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, I can I can tell you all the names that I. Yeah, tell Bailey. us about everybody. I want to hear everybody who you're working with because girl, they're all unsung heroes to me. Bailey, she she's from uh, well, she worked at she went to the culinary school that I went to, but she's the hardest worker at, in that kitchen right now. She's the female that all the females look up to. And that's that's a lot to say because we know that women don't get the respect that they deserve in the kitchen. Yeah. And a lot of times they have to be one and a half times as good to get the same level of and respect. And I, and I know they have that grind. So I'm glad that and you're they, calling them out. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, keep keep going, man. I love hearing about these people. And I think they're going to appreciate that you recognize them as well. Oh, my. Yeah, there's Marisa. There's Jake, uh, Austin, Kevin, Edwin. Carlo, all, all of them. I mean, you know, like working with them, it's great to work with people like this because you can only get better. Me at 35, it's, you know, I, I'm not, I'm never going to say I'm done learning because you, you never stop learning in this industry. Um, but you can even learn from younger kids like them. Uh, like I said, uh, I learned to have a good attitude because of McCarty. But That's yeah, amazing. I, I think, I think yeah. too often we only look up as the right. opportunity for our, for our mentorship, for our leadership, for our opportunity for knowledge. Some of the best lessons I learned were from dishwashers because they didn't overthink it. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a valuable thing. So hope all of you crew at Mercantile are listening to this. I love the fact that we can shout out as many people as possible because each individual makes up the team and the team is the most important thing. No one person within sure. it in a kitchen. So this is very, very good stuff. I want to leave everybody with a quote that you gave me a little bit of a mantra, take this into the world, make it a better place, continue to evolve within the industry. You say, always work hard. It's never too late. What does that mean to you? Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm looking at myself as, you know, cause I'm one of the older guys in the kitchen right now. Cause all of the other kids are like 21 to 25. You know, me being 35, I feel like, you know, obviously I'm older than them. But yeah, it's never too late to, 
to do what you really want to do. And, and, I, and I see that in my future, you know, like having the best Mexican restaurant in Denver. That's, that's what my future will be, I hope. By working I absolutely <laughs> love that because I remember yeah. a time when you were building up your skills here to go back to Mexico and open your restaurant. Right. I right. cannot tell you how much I appreciate. I want to bring my culture here because I've been here so long. It's brought so much to me. I want to give back to my culture and to the city and state right. and bring that cuisine here. I can see what you're trying to do. I love it. Don't forget people always work hard. It's never too late. And, you're 35, man. You got yeah. 35 more years of, of hustling <laughs> in the kitchen and, and making tortillas in, in your life. So appreciate you. You brought a lot of oh, value to this conversation. Thank and you very much, Jensen. Thanks for what you do in the industry. Oh, thank you. Cheers. So Sharif has had quite the journey. It's been exciting talking to him and, and for everyone listening to his story. And he was gracious to give shout outs to quite a few people that he has been impacted along his journey and today working at Mercantile here in Denver, Colorado. He specifically wanted to give a shout out to Adam McCarthy, who we have on the line right now. Adam, thanks for taking some time today to talk with us. Hey, how are you, Jensen? <laughs> doing well, doing well. He said that you are absolutely an unsung hospitality hero, somebody we need to recognize. And we're going to dig into a little bit of what it is about you that uh, Sharif sees something special in and and see if we can't highlight that for other people across the industry, both in mentor positions and as you're up and coming in the industry. So tell us just quickly a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally? What was your first job in the industry? Yeah, so, uh, so I started my life out in South Boston. Uh, I worked at a brunch place called Nico's Weymouth with my mother, uh, just busing tables to start off with. And then I got eventually pushed into the ditch pit and then I made my way over to the line, just making sandwiches, doing fried food. Very simple. Um, I went to vocational high school, culinary school, ended up going to college in upstate New York. And then uh, my first summer back home, I spent, I spent my summer at a college in Nantucket. Um, and that's where I really fell in love with uh, cooking out there. Uh, I worked at a restaurant called The Boarding House in The Pearl ran by uh, Seth Rayner, who is a great chef. He's had uh, restaurants out in Nantucket for about 14, 15 years now. Um, yeah, and he really, he really showed me the way, and uh, I, I, I fell in love under his footsteps of, of uh, hospitality and of how to just do great seafood at a restaurant. And uh, yeah, food, I really never... Food is so deep-seated there in Boston, and seafood in Nantucket, I mean, that's like religion for sure yeah oh yeah talk to <laughs> chef johnny sheehan uh, has a episode up definitely check that out and we play these little games at the beginning these little best served on icebreaker games and we talked about some of the history of seafood in boston and it was it was pretty epic to do some research on my end so i i, I feel you there 100 percent. that's a good way to start out so what brought you to denver then so uh, i have family that live out here in denver and after graduating high uh, college I really thought I needed a West Coast vibe in my life because growing up fishing and all this other, uh, just, wa just water-based, I mean, I didn't really understand the dryness of far, as far as cooking. So coming out here and learning under, uh, well, coming out here, I, I first staged at Fruition, of course, and then I ended up uh, getting the job at Mercantile. 
uh, working my way up from breakfast to lunch to dinner. But uh, it really opened my eyes when Matt, Matt has a really great understanding of dry cooking and uh, dehydrating. And then on the other side of uh, keeping food easy, uh, f fermenting, he really understands the concept of uh, the climate up here, which is great. Yeah. I love that you went straight to uh, fruition. I mean, Alex Seidel is an icon nationally, oh, but especially easy. here in uh, in Colorado. Matt Vodder, man, what a what a brilliant mind for food, and uh, and to have Alex and Matt and Sharif. Then, what does it mean to kind of be part of a team like that for you as a young upcoming chef? You know, I'm only I'm only 22, and when I got in here, I thought it was going to be hell, and I was really scared, and I was just young. Um, and I grew, I, I worked with older people on lines before, but nothing in a restaurant like how Mercantile is. And to see someone to be at that age and not have given up yet, because I just feel like it's a very turn and burn type industry. But to really see those people like bust their balls every single day, even though they're they're 10 years, 12 years older than us. It's, it's really inspiring and it makes you want to even push harder and not saying that I don't want to be in their position and working on the line at that age, but like it, it makes you want to strive, you know, it makes you really want to yeah. strive. A hundred percent. Yeah. Sharif a couple of times uh, called out that he's 35 and all these, these young kids and stuff. And I think there's an interesting dynamic there that I think you touch on is for you, you're driven by the fact that they're still just hungry and in love with the industry, you know, 15 years in, 20 years in, and vice versa, they're feeding off your energy just so like young and open and a sponge and all that. I'm very interested in some practical things that happen to speak to that dynamic. So talk to me maybe about a couple things that happen within the kitchen that you really see that mentorship and that leadership showing maybe in the day to day uh, in your job. Well, well, anyone that gets up, gets put up on that hotline at Mercantile, they have to, well, since, since I've been working there, they've had to go through Sharif and understanding how to properly cook fish. And that seems very simple, especially from a kid like me, but even, even him not living in, uh, living near water, he knows, he understands how to really cook fish perfectly. And uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've gone over and just sniffed around his station just to figure out what he's doing. And he showed me a couple of things of how to cook fish, but he, it's, it's, it, like you said, it's all, it's all like his age just shows it just shows everything. He just shows his worth. And we almost, we almost drive him too, though, being young, you know, which is nice. Yeah. He uh, is somebody I mentioned when we talk, because Sharif and I have worked together at four different restaurants. I was his wow. chef at a couple places and brought him into some consulting jobs. He is somebody that I have absolute trust in ingredients. I can hand that guy any ingredient. Anybody can hand that guy any ingredient, and he will take the most care and attention to detail with that ingredient always. The thing that always I was pushing him was the mentorship and the leadership part because I was like, that is more of what you do as a chef than yeah. cooking with the ingredients and, it, and it's nice to see now that's crystallizing for him that he still has that love and care for the ingredients and can teach technique but also have that that kind of mentorship which I think is is super super key in the industry yeah he, uh, he shows he shows real great integrity with the food in uh it, it sets it sets it sets a level you know it sets a level of expectation with when you see 
someone like him or Matt take a take a piece of food and just carve it like a like a like a piece of wood, you know, like or or paint it paint it like a painting almost, you know. It's real yeah, special. A, that's a good insight. So I know that mercantile isn't Mexican food, but I know also that Sharif is really doing a lot to impart kind of his culture and how he's really connected with his Mexican roots. I'm really oh, fascinated yeah. with how oh, yeah. that is manifesting for you. I mean, seeing that level of passion and dedication I mean, for food. For everyone food. that everyone that uh, asks me about mercantile always asks me what kind of what kind of food do you guys serve? And I say it's you know it's it's kind of French, it's kind of Mediterranean. We have a lot of influences. We have an Asian, we have some Asian dishes, like Asian flair dishes, and then we also have like. Uh, masa cake sometimes or we do uh we did a carnita the other night like a carnita plate with um masa tacos on the side that Shreef did his own little asian spin on it we sold out the first hour of service on on five on a five pop-up uh special night you know what i mean it's just it's pretty cool to see um i mean just his techniques are, are completely different and he he he's been to he's been to uh, other places for sure for his age he's traveled I don't know um, where else he's worked. He, I know he's trying to get out to LA at some point or New York, but uh, his techniques are like none other. I didn't, he just, like I said, the, the, the people, his type of people, his, his, uh, his family has grown up in this area and they, they've understood dry food just as well as Vodder has understood dry food. And they've really succeeded when it comes to uh, the Mexican cuisine for sure. And like, I've been to events with him, Mexican events that they're held around Colorado, and he comes there and he's like a star. <laughs> people know him from the community. People, you know what I mean? It's it's real cool. It's real. Cool. Yeah, he he's definitely standing up for Mexican food and thinking about ingredients like masa, thinking about corn oh, I love in it. different ways. So it's super. I cool, never I knew. I never knew about him until I came here. I never knew about any of these ingredients. Yeah, th this. Hearing the excitement in your voice when you think about the way that Sharif is treating those ingredients and that cultural, that's exactly what I'm so excited about. The opportunity to tell stories, to connect with somebody like you, to see what that means for the future generations. And I think the more that we can take that level of integrity for food, as you mentioned, that passion for ingredients and that love for kind of your culture and your own history and bringing that to new people, I think is, is super, super exciting. So. With all that, kind of where do you see the industry as it is now and kind of where it's going for you and kind of some of the young bucks out there? Like, what do you want to impart on the industry as part of what you happens know, next? Vader always tells us, like, hey, you're not cooking for, 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 for the well – like, you're cooking for the well-being of the restaurant and for the, for the, the experience and, the, and, like, the drive for the restaurant, but you're also cooking for your generation. Like, you, you're cooking – and you're learning your you're learning your way of management because it's 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 ever changing of course he always says you're learning your way of management for your generation so although it, although like he, he learned his generation of management obviously through hardship battle and swearing and getting hot pans thrown at him on the line you know and then my generation we're, we're learning a completely different way. I feel like of management and just an hour, like the hours in a work day, even like kids my age don't want to do 16 hour work days, you know, and it's, it's very much, um, 
it's very much leaving the fact in the idealism of cooking more towards like the, the, the industry should really just be about cooking and just how to get things done, how to do be perfect about it and how to just make really good food. But it's really turning to how can the employee be benefited through just ridiculous requests because it's a kitchen. Like you can't give, you can't, you can't give it all in a kitchen. It's a, it's supposed to be hard to work in a kitchen, you know? And I feel like my age really doesn't see that yet. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a balancing act there. And I think these kind of conversations are really important because there starts to be this quote unquote kids these days and the dedication that we had. And I was like, you know what? I think that they're, the next generation is going to do even better with the restaurant industry. I know we were romanticized. I think they're going to do better. I think, I think they're going to so. do better. I think so. I think they're going to yeah. learn from us. And, and, you know, there was this island of misfit toys that we were because getting plate thrown at your head was a badge of honor. It's also toxic and it's being exposed as such. And so now it's like, what happens next? What's our purpose now? How do we define that? And yeah, how but- do we meaningful have conversations that move us forward and I think this is exactly it you are as dedicated as anybody from my generation or the generation before or anything like that you're just going to do it differently and that's okay and I think that's what we need to have conversations about but 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 also like like if you're gonna if you're gonna go play dodgeball and never get hit by a ball are you good at it or are you afraid of the ball so like if you're cooking and you just I don't know. I just feel like my, I feel like my generation is very afraid and doesn't want to work, but, but they're going to be good at, they're going to be good when they figure it out, when they figure out how to manage people properly. And when, when my generation figures out how to give a proper work day for a chef, it's going to be a great profession. Yeah. That's the but sweet spot. We got to find, now. we got to, we got to find that sweet spot for sure. Yeah. Trust yeah, me, when sure. I was 22, I wasn't great at any of this stuff either, for sure. So yeah. <laughs> it's about finding your way. And I think it's about people buying in, into you as an individual person within the team and saying, I see you. Here's how I can mentor you. Yeah. And I how think that's what I'm excited about highlighting is how Sharif, how Matt Vodder, how Alex Seidel have decided that they are going to invest in you and spend as much time yeah. in you as they expect to have you spend in on their restaurant and what they're trying to do. So really appreciate you, Adam, being a part of the next wave to continue to evolve our industry. Yeah, for sure. For sure, and make man. And <laughs> make it even better. Thanks for being part of this conversation and give shout outs continuously to all your mentors and everybody yeah. around you in the industry. Shout out, shout out to all the, all the, all the workers at Mercantile. Man, they're, they're the hardest working kitchen I've ever worked in. Yeah, I love it. Drop some yeah. names. Tell tell us who you, who uh, you specifically all, all love the girls, working with. All, all the girls, man. Elaine, Bailey, Marissa, all the front of the house staff. They they're awesome. Uh, they can be a pain in the ass sometimes, and they know how hard I am on them. But they they do a great job, and I only do it because I want them to be to to, to be the best. I Can't do without them. Can't do without them, right? The best, man. Yeah, and uh, Vader, Vader, and all the older staff, including Sharif. I mean. Uh, it's just it's awesome to to look up to the people that you want to be every single day it's crazy to say it like that and i would never think that i would be working with my mentors and like having all this inspiration around me every single day but it's awesome to be a part of it it's that's what it's all about adam mccarthy (laughs) thank you keep hustling keep cooking keep loving what you you do thank you cheers thanks for listening to the best served podcast 
subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.